Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh, serve fast, serve friendly, lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Welcome to Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs. In episode 77, Oscar's guest is an individual who lettered at UK for five years but never played in a game. His name's DJ Geddes, and he was one of the managers under coach Tubby Smith. Growing up a Kentucky fan, DJ actually made his Big Blue debut at the age of 15 before he became a manager for the basketball team. Oscar and DJ will discuss Big Blue Madness that kicked off 100 years of Kentucky basketball, how he became a manager for the basketball team, and working for Mr. Wildcat, Bill Kitely. DJ shares with us his managerial duties on game day, and he relives the highs and the lows of Kentucky basketball during his time, and that includes team turmoil. DJ will also tell us his thoughts on the departure of Coach Tubby Smith. Did Patrick Sparks really walk? What was Mr. Wildcat's number one rule? And who is really in charge of the water bottles during timeouts? It's an inside look at Kentucky basketball from the other end of the bench. And despite being at the end of the bench, DJ Geddes always had the best seat in the house. This is Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs, and his guest, DJ Nothing quite like Big Blue Madness in Kentucky, but back in your days, I mean, 12, 13 years ago, it was Midnight Madness. What was your first Midnight Madness that you can think of, even back before you started at UK? Well, um, Midnight Madness was always an exciting time because uh, it was the start of the year. It was the first official practice. Um, growing up as a kid, I don't think I attended many because it was midnight, but <laughs> once we started, uh, I was a member of the team. Um, my probably my most memorable uh, was the 100-year anniversary. Um, we were kind of uh, the surprise factor. Was that in 02? Yes, 02, 03, uh, so um, October of 02. Um, kind of a late addition. Managers weren't really um, notified of what our duties were in terms of the surprise, but uh, – they made a wooden cake, um, and Mr. Kitely was in the middle of the cake. And Mr. Wildcat. Mr. Wildcat. And uh, we were to roll Mr. Kitely out to center court, uh, and the whole crowd sings happy birthday for the 100-year anniversary. And then we open up the lid, and out pops Mr. Kitely. Um, so that's probably my most memorable of, of Midnight Madness. Um, uh, what did it mean to the students? I mean, that was a time when... You know, this originally was devised by Joe B. Hall back in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, that the players would be a month into practice, and they were tired of banging on each other. He wanted something to sort of get them spirited up, and so he went around 
on a weekend and posted notices in all the dorms that they were going to have an open practice, but it's going to be at midnight. They had to be at midnight. Right. Uh, I mean, our guys at that point, we uh, leading up to that, we're doing individual workouts. So they're probably tired of shooting and shooting. And um, But to get into the real grind of practice is exciting. Uh, probably not looking forward to the 6 a.m. practices to start right away, but um, get to see all the fans perform in front of the fans, dunk contest, three-point contest, uh, and scrimmage for the first time. Full action was, was real exciting. What about early on it was just students and then the general fans come in and a lot of people thought, well, they're not going to drive from Paducah or Pike for or Covington for a midnight madness, but they were there. Right. So uh, still in Memorial Coliseum when I was there. So we packed the house, eight, nine, ten thousand people, um, students, everybody. Um, and the NCAA rules were you couldn't put a ball on the floor until 1201. Till the stroke of midnight. So there were uh, activities leading up, um, fanfare, throwing out T-shirts and uh, cheerleading and things like that. But, yeah, we couldn't get on the court till midnight. What, what, what was the entire week like building up that? Because once you get on Monday, and usually back then it was on a Friday or a Saturday, once you start Monday as, as managers, as people around the program, the coaches, the players, when did the buzz really start hitting you? Well, I mean, you probably remember, um, I mean, they still camp out uh, weeks in advance. I think there's actually a set date where you can start to camp out now. But I remember, uh, I think Wally was his name, always was first in line. So that kind of started it. Um, but the buzz between the coaching staff, our manager staff, Mr. Kitely, uh, and the players was enormous. I mean, it's, you're, you're excited to start. That's what you're here for, for, for basketball. Growing up here in Lexington, were you always a Kentucky fan? Absolutely, uh, from birth. Did did you did you play any sports in high school? I did not play in high school. I was a student manager um, at Lexington Catholic under Danny Haney back then. Um, growing up, I was a church choir boy. Um, actually, sang a unknown fact a lot to a lot of my friends. Even uh, I sang the national anthem at. Rupp Arena uh, when I was 15, center court, acapella, all by myself, just kind of holding on to the side of my pants. What event was this? Uh, UK basketball game against Vanderbilt. So I guess that was the beginning of your managerial role at Kentucky. But I think there's another story behind that, though. I I mean, I guess you could say that. Um, I mean, I was only 15, but little did I know that I'd be working on that same court years later. But – so it was it a no-brainer as you got through high school at Catholic that you would attend UK? Yeah, I always planned to, to attend UK. Um, attended as a business major. Uh, had ambitions of maybe being a sports agent um, to pursue law school after that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, grew up um, idolizing. Uh, I think Darren Feldhouse was one of my favorite players growing up. Obviously, Mashburn, Tony Delk, those are, those are my uh, – idols growing up so i mean as a lexingtonian um you always want to play for kentucky so the next best thing was to to be a part of the team and live with the team and and get to experience it um but as a 511 little dumpy white kid it wasn't going to make the team so this this was my way in you you enrolled in kentucky in the fall of 2000 uh did you already have your mindset that you were going to 
try to become a manager? I actually enrolled in 98. Uh, didn't become a manager full-time until I was a junior uh, in college. So my sophomore year, I was a manager for the baseball team under Keith Madison. Um, weren't any spots available for basketball my first two years. Uh, so waited my time and uh, came along as a, as a junior. But definitely uh, day one, stepping on the university, I wanted to be a part of the team and, and – uh, and partake so you almost become social security aged in by the time you <laughs> left there tell well, me yeah. how how were you able to get five letters under kentucky basketball never played a minute in a single game i mean that's quite an achievement yeah i'm pretty proud of that actually um if you, if you look in the media guide there, there truly is there are five letters there under uh, dj Geddes. so um but like I said, I mean, I started as a junior, so by the time I ended, I might might have been 25. I mean, it's hard to give up that that good of a gig. Now, now, what makes it so good? That's that's what I want to get into. Well, I mean, it's a it's a it's a brotherhood. So our direct boss was was Bill Kiley. Um, obviously, uh, Coach Smith was our ultimate boss, and but we we um, reported directly to Mr. Kiley, um, and. Mr. Kai has one daughter um, and no grandchildren, uh, no sons. So we were kind of his boys. Um, and to be in that brotherhood, that fraternity, um, is just something I'm truly grateful for and, and never will forget. It seemed like he always had enough around the field to team himself as for, for student managers. Right. Um, well, his one rule was um, – now, son, you're not coming here to, to be a player. Understand that, number one. This is and not. What do you mean by that? Well, he didn't want us to act like we were um, going to walk on or, or get a same, shot to same play. Same level as a player. Right. No, we, we weren't. You're not here to, to play. You're here to work. And it's a lot of sacrifice, a lot of hard work, a lot of hours. Um, we're behind the scenes uh, kind of guys, and first ones there, last ones to leave. Um, yeah, we're not running sprints and and lifting weights and, and doing all the hard, hard stuff, but we're there. What process did you have to go through to be picked as a manager? So, I mean, like I said, it is it is selective. Um, maybe one, two spots open up a year, so I did have to wait a little bit. Um, a lot of it, I mean, right place, right time, kind of who you know, get your foot in the door, and then you have to, to prove yourself to Mr. Kiley, um, great judge of character. Um, really (laughs) of course (laughs) Um, but I mean uh, coaches have their guys too but ultimately I think uh, Kitely was the he made the final selection made the final selection yes I guess he sort of had to run it by the head coach you have any problem with this guy although the head coach probably didn't know who he's even talking about right we we reported to Mr. Kitely we were there probably four six hours a day from starting in August all the way through school let out and then actually working camps in the summer. So, Did you get any compensation at all? Through the, the first couple of years, um, we could work on um, uh, partial scholarships, and then as you became senior managers, usually your top two seniors um, of the six-man crew usually got um, close to full scholarship if possible. Um, you obviously had to have your grades and uh, everything aligned. Was he tough to work for? No, um, I mean, I wouldn't say tough, um, 
I mean, you had to, you had to be a hard worker. Um, that's what he instilled in, in us daily. I mean, you couldn't show up to practice when you wanted. If you, if you missed a practice, then, I mean, you miss a couple and you're probably off the squad. So, um, like I said, it was a lot of sacrifice. You're trying to manage school, uh, especially when the season gets going, you're traveling. Um, but in all, I mean, if you're a hard worker and put in the time, I mean, it, it's it's fun. It's sport. What was a typical game day like from a manager's point of view? When did you start that day and lead me through the whole process till end of the game and everybody leaves the building? Yeah, so game day, um, home. So I'll give you a home home day. Um, typically, we'd have a pregame meal about four hours before a game with the team. So prior to that, depending on what time the game was, we'd either have shoot around uh, before that or, or just at, at the arena. But in terms of managerial duties, um, uh, we would pack up uh, all the uniforms, uh, extra shoe bags. And being at Rupp, we already had a lot of the, the extra kind of gear and towels and, and Gatorades and such already at, at Rupp. But we would get down uh, to Rupp Arena about two and a half hours in advance, lay out all the guys' um, uniforms, shoes um in their individual lockers and then pre-game once the guy started to arrive we'd be out um rebounding just getting them loose helping stretching if they needed um back in the locker room we would prep the chairs um gatorades um snacks and then once the game started typically the two senior managers would have a spot on the end of the bench the rest would kind of sit and stand kind of behind the bench. But you'd have a, a timeout every four minutes. So you'd have to did watch every, the clock. Did every player have a, a manager to <clears throat> give them water or what? I mean, you, you kind of tended to your guys. I mean, we didn't have specific assignments. Um, obviously, only five are playing at a time. But um, basically, your um, senior managers would hand off the towels and the water. Um, some of your younger guys would come behind Coach Smith always liked to have to pull the five chairs out away from the bench to separate, pull in the, the guys that were currently in the game, would sit down. We'd hand them their towels, Gatorade or water. We just did individual cups. Coach Smith, we always had to have uh, his uh, bottled water under his chair and a Gatorade cup because I guess he had a nervous habit of spitting. So he always had <laughs> to have his, his cup under there. Um, you just – you. You try to tell the guys if if they're going in for a sub, not to take their whole uh, warm up uniform up to center court because that was kind of embarrassing for a manager. Of, the manager have to run up there and grab that. So help us out and kind of throw it back our way, and we'll help you out. What about prior to the game? Final instructions from the coach, halftime adjustments. Uh, did Tubby have any superstitions? What was that like? Um, I mean, it was pretty much the same um, in terms of going over keys and strategies. Um, same kind of quotes every game. I don't recall the exact. I have to uh, defer to some of the guys, uh, the players. But we were more nervous about making sure getting the time and getting people out and, and, and prepping for the game rather than uh, strategies for the game per se. But um, – Coach Smith, I mean, great guy. Um, Were you the, ever the subject of a tubby stare? 
Tubby Stare. No, uh, thank goodness, no. Um, I mean, you've probably witnessed a, a, a couple stares in your day. Particularly uh, the Rajon Rondo. <laughs> um, I mean, I, our worst nightmare was um, a player would get up and kick a, a full cup of Gatorade as we're, as the timeout ends, and now you've got a full sweat or, or, or water mark on the court. Um that was our uh, our nightmare there. So luckily for me, I was never around when that happened. So, um, but a, a couple of the guys, yeah, they got them, and uh, we we give them good good what laugh. Was, for what that. was it like at halftime? Uh, giving me a little bit of a, a a look into the mood of Tubby at halftime of a game. Say they're up comfortably by ten or twelve versus being down ten or twelve. As a manager, we would always um, two guys would go back early, get the chairs ready. Um, and we would know um, at that point if, if it was going to be a good good timeout or a good halftime, sorry, or a bad halftime. Um, we kind of had our own little closet back, so we would always run in there uh, once the guys came in, hand them their towels or waters. And um, if we were down 10 or 12, it was, it was uh, better get your butt in gear. Uh, and we just stayed out of the way and shut the door and – did y'all stay in at halftime, or did you? We did, but we were we're not visible. Uh, you. you just you either got behind a post, or you went back in our little closet and shut the door with Mister Kitely, uh, and then we would have our play time back there. But yeah, you could hear the screams through the door if we were down ten or twelve. Usually, if we were up ten or twelve, I mean, if it's a big opponent, don't let down. So it, it's usually screaming. Yeah. <laughs> did Did he ever let the chalk fly? to the board we had dry erase markers um few of those did fly um and then god forbid if we came out and erased something early and 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 you were in the wrong spot and erased something that he didn't want erased um i, I mean i don't remember anybody getting pegged per se by a, a marker or, or chalk or anything but uh i mean it's jobs on the line every day so <laughs> How was it after the game? I assume he brings the players in, sits them down, talks to them for however briefly or however long. Say after a win, a big win versus a bad loss. Yeah, we always sat. So coach would stand up in front of the board, and then we'd have two rows uh, of players. And, um, I mean, obviously if we win, the, the attitude is great. Um couple losses there where you're not supposed to lose i remember once um uh coach smith looked around and just I, I know what it is these guys they have it too good um and took away training table that night so nobody got food or i mean and that, hit the showers that, and get that must out of have here. been a home loss home loss yeah. yeah i don't recall the yeah the opponent but uh i mean those were few and far between but uh yeah, you didn't want to be on the end of a losing. When Tubby uh, lost the game, I think it was in 03 against uh, Marquette. Yeah. Were you at that game? I was. Um, How difficult was a locker room? Because you, you, you ran into two things. You run into the great Dwayne Wade before it was Dwayne Wade. And if I memory serves me correctly, Keith Bogans had a sprained ankle that night. Lead eight, and most everybody thought that was a Final Four trip. Yeah, that, I mean, that was probably the toughest loss, obviously. Um, I mean, it, we got blitzed early on. 
Uh, I remember walking up at halftime. I mean, I think we were down 20, give or take. And, um, I mean, heads, I mean, guys just were just heads down, just thought we were done. Um, not a lot of words. I, I do recall Coach Hobbs saying, this is not over. We're still in this. Got another half. Um, but, yeah, um, Keith had gotten hurt the game before against Wisconsin and gave a valiant effort, just didn't have any lateral speed, I mean, with one day rest after a high ankle sprain. So, that was a that was a great year, uh, twenty six. I think we real twenty six in a row. Um, finished thirty two and four. I think that uh, was the first SEC team to go nineteen and zero. It was. That was um, went sixteen zero regular season, then went on to win uh, SEC uh, tournament. So it was first nineteen and zero. Um, I don't. The nineteen ninety six team didn't even do that. Yeah, and and um, years before that, they were playing sixteen league games. So. The three in a tournament would only give you 18. Or, I mean, that gave you 19. Yeah, right. Yeah. If you won the tournament, yeah. 19 and 0. Uh, let's, fun let's, fun let's, fact with that one, though, um, that's probably one of my most prized possessions um, from that tournament. So we had the, the tournament balls, and they were all um, embossed with the logo. So it had Superdome, New Orleans, um, SEC logo, um, and was fortunate to get one of the game balls from the tournament. Mm-hmm. And I have that uh, signed by the whole team, Mr. Kiley, Coach Smith. Um, and you're uh, going to give it that away free off of Twitter? You're going to have a drawing for it to give it to some lucky fan? Is that there, true? There could be a replica, maybe. Uh, <laughs> but not the real thing. <laughs> I, I, well, I do have the um, 2005 uh, game, um, but we lost to Florida that year in the final. So that one's... That was just sitting on the shelf, no autographs. Let's flip back around just for a second because Tubby's greatest years was before you were with the basketball team. He came in in 97-98, won the title. 98-99, uh, they had a great team. I think they went to the lead eight that year against uh, Michigan State. Yeah. I think so. Uh, and you, you, you actually joined the team in 2000-2001. And uh, – 2000, 2001, they were 24 and 10. But even in that, out of those 10 losses, seven losses were for five points or less and in overtime. Uh, it, it seemed like things, you were just so close. What do you remember most about that season? If I recall, I think we did finish um, first in the East, or at least tied for first in the East. I think we you tied, tied. Tied first in the East. Well, so you were East champions. Yeah. So tied with Florida. In all five years, we were either first or tied for first in the East. And this is before they combined um, the East and the West into one. Um, but that year, um, Sweet 16, I think we, we went to – I think we lost to um, – USC, um, but probably the highlight of that season um, was just going to that first SEC tournament, um, winning that first SEC tournament title. Uh, I, re- I remember um, the AD, CM Newton, coming in the locker room after, and uh, Coach Smith and Mr. Kiley, and just all, I mean, it's a lot of hard works. I mean, to, to win that title in that type of season. Um, and then I, I just remember CM saying, this is easy, isn't it? And I said, 
Well, I don't know if it's easy, but it sure is fun. So, <laughs> Actually, um, going into the championship against Ole Miss, Kentucky was ranked number 15, and Ole Miss was ranked number 11. And um, beat them by 22, 75 to 55. Yeah. Then you came back and beat Holy Cross in Iowa and lost by four to uh, Southern Cal in Philadelphia. Jason Parker had a big game. That was kind of his coming out um, towards the end of that year. Um, just a monster on the post, freshman. Um, so things were really looking good going into that next year. I think both, um, if I recall, Keith and Tayshawn both put their names in the draft, and that's when you could put your name in the draft. One time. One time, and then withdraw. Uh, luckily, they both withdrew. And then going into that next year, we were preseason, I want to say three, um, and then probably lead you right into the next question. Team turmoil, a year that a lot of people would like to forget. There were, there were a couple of three things happened that was really neat that year. But then the way it ended, but the first thing is you had to go to overtime to beat athletes in action. I, I in do, an exhibition I game. I do remember that. I think Keith actually, Bogans, hit a three at the buzzer. And uh, that's one of those, like, you, you hit the shot and everybody piles on everybody at midcourt. We did that, but it was an exhibition game. So to start Team Torma, that should have been a um, pretty good sign for uh, maybe what was going to happen that year. And the very next game, you're embarrassed at home by Western Kentucky and by a young kid who eventually comes in Kentucky, Patrick Smarks, is coming out party. Yeah, if I, if I had to trade – that loss to Western to end up getting Patrick Sparks, I'll take it. Um, but, yeah, that was not supposed to lose your first game uh, at home, especially, I mean, I think we were preseason number three. Um, I don't know that we lost anybody. Um, you, you come down a couple weeks later, you play Carolina, Tayshawn Prince, the decimal – point on sound that night i think it was what five or six consecutive threes five to start the game um that that honestly is the loudest uh that i've been a part of at rup uh probably one of more exciting just individual accomplishments i mean that fifth three i mean he stepped on the logo and launched it and nothing but net and i think there's a famous picture of him turned around hands up giving like, I don't know like what big why almost. Yeah. Um, 31 points, 7 of 11 three-pointers. He's just one of those nights on fire. Uh, I remember him coming back. Uh, North Carolina obviously called a timeout. And, I mean, that was a, a hyped moment in, in the huddle there. Um, I don't think anybody took a drink, took a towel. We were just celebrating. Hey, this is Carolina. <laughs> What's going on? Just give, Just feed Tay the ball. Ten days later, you have another heartbreak. You go to the Meadowlands, you lose to Duke, 95-92 in overtime. Yeah, that, that, was, uh, that was a fun, fun trip. Um, that, that was start of the start of the turmoil was actually a little leading up to that trip. Um, had a couple guys um, show up to practice uh, the morning of late after a late night. Probably smelled a little bit of a few beverages and 
I think uh, team captains, uh, JP and Tay, really had to make a decision if, if we were going to allow a couple of the big guys to make the trip. Um, and they did, and we needed them, um, but came up a little short. I think Jay Williams um, had about 31 that night. And uh, But to be in Madison Square Garden in your second year as a manager uh, in that environment, I mean, it was, it was awesome. Yeah. You, you got back on a winning track, but then you lost by three to Alabama at home. A uh, few uh, couple games later, you lost in mm-hmm. overtime at Tennessee. And you, you started feeling the, the team turmoil sort of oozing out. Yeah, the, the momentum was, uh, was, was definitely going. I mean, one of the guys on that squad um, was just a pure shooter. Um, Rashad Ruth, um, I think even in that Duke game, he had a, a stellar first half. I don't even think he played the second half. Him and, him and Coach kind of butted heads from day one. Um, from, from my recollection, obviously I don't know f- the full uh, relationship there, but I think Tennessee is is uh, where it got a little heated after that loss in the locker room. Tempers flared a little. Uh, obviously, words were said. And, um, did you did you did you have the fear that before the season was over with, a player or two might not make it through the end of the year no i mean i, th- I thought we would I, th- I thought people would all remain on the team uh, i don't know much playing time they would get but i mean it was just a bad combination of an injury of jason parker in the summer towards acl um re-tears it at midnight madness uh, in the locker room right before the players go out um you just, you just had some some bad apples on the team um, mixed together, and it was just one of those years where it spiraled down. But you know, this was Tayshawn Prince's senior year, right? Um, and, and you could see some of the disconnect. Um, I don't think all the the roommate pairings maybe at the lodge were the best. I mean, you had uh, I think Tayshawn was with Rashad, JP was with uh, Jason Parker, so you didn't have your your seniors together. Um, maybe that was just trying to give growth to some of those young guys, but for whatever reason, it just didn't work. We still finished as a four seed, um, lost in the Sweet 16 to Maryland, who was the eventual national champion. Um, I think that was up in Syracuse, maybe. Yes, Syracuse. Um, so it, it just one of those years didn't work out, but it was still fun. Um, I don't recall. What did we do in the SEC tournament? Well, that was the year we probably was, lost. And, uh... and that was what I was going to sort of ask you about there. Other than the <laughs> loss to Mariner, which you really didn't play all that poorly against Mariner. Mariner was pretty good. They were ranked number four in the country. Yeah. I forget what their star player was, but he went on Juan to play Dixon, pros. Juan Dixon, I think. Juan yeah. Dixon, yeah. Um, but which one finally put you Was it the loss at Vanderbilt the last week of the season? Or uh, there were so many rumors that come out of the, the first game in the SEC tournament, lost to South Carolina, and there were a lot of rumors going around about a player that apparently didn't make curfew the night before the game and maybe had to get his own transportation back to Lexington. Yeah, uh, well, you can go and look and see who didn't play in the first half and, and see which <laughs> player that was. He may or may not have worn number four, but – um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think the tournament was in Atlanta that year. Um, pretty silly. I mean, it's, it's young guy, so make a mistake. But yeah, to lose in the first round, um, that's that's brutal uh, for the SEC tournament. Um, I'm sure Atlanta lost a lot of money that weekend. <laughs> now you come to the probably. Uh, Tubby's best year for the rest of his career, uh, 2002-2003. Uh, I mean, things were going really, really, really good. Uh, you you do lose an exhibition game to Team Nike, 84-75. You lost the second game in uh, oh, so let Maui. Me go, let me go back. So that's the year that Bogans hits the three. Um, if you look at the first exhibition – I think we won by 83, one. 83, 82 over athletes one. in action. So we, we, we win exhibition games by one point. That's that's not too good. But uh, No, so this year, I mean, going in, obviously you lose um, Tayshawn Prince um, and JP, uh, starting point guard. So Keith has to come back. He can't declare for the draft again. He didn't have a, a great uh, year in 2002. But we're glad to have him back. We had a lot of senior leadership going in. Um, Jules was a fifth-year senior because he had to sit out a year. Uh, Marquise, uh, Estel, um, and then obviously Keith. Um, but that was the hundred year. Um, so there was some some good anticipation for that season. But yeah, I would say that was uh, Tubby's best year. You 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 lost to Virginia seventy-five to sixty-four in the second game. In Maui, then you came back and beat a good Gonzaga team that was ranked 20. And then you got on a little bit of a run, but then you lost the made-for-TV game to Michigan State at home. You, I don't, I can't remember if you beat them the year before or the year after in the record-setting attendance up there. But you lost by four on December the 14th. And then you lost at Louisville the first time that Rick beat Kentucky on his return. I'll start off with a little bit of the high of that season with Maui. I mean, think about going to Maui as a student manager um, for free um, with the team. Uh, I mean, we probably packed and carried umpteen million bags of shoes and gear, but um, we had a lot of free time. And although we didn't win the tournament, that was, that was I mean, who can turn down a trip to Maui? Uh, during the school year um, but then going into that Michigan State game um, that was at home we unveiled the uh, 100 year jersey uh, silver uh, if you remember that had the throwback belt uh, looped in I'm sure you got one of them too I uh, might might <laughs> t- stashed away I still need to get that one framed that, but that that is one of the perks of being a manager you do have a pretty nice collection of UK memorabilia I do. Uh, a couple shoes here and there and a lot of gear and game shorts and, and a couple jerseys here and there. But, uh, but no, I mean, that game, I think um, they had a freshman or a young guy hit a three in the corner within the last minute uh, to put them ahead. And then I think we got the ball back and just couldn't, couldn't win it. But I think that was our last loss for a while. No, no. No? Uh, uh, or at Louisville. Two weeks later. At Louisville. You lost at Louisville. And that that was painful because who was coaching Louisville at the time? 
Yeah, that was uh, uh, that was one of his few losses. That was Coach P's uh, first uh, home game, I guess. Yes, in, that was in, the in second year. Him. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think I think we just got. Uh, what was the final on that one? Seventy. 81-63. Yeah, that was, a, that was a beat down. But as a result of that game, you did not lose another game the entire season until your final game. Until the Elite Eight. For the, in the Elite Eight. I mean, you ran off 26 in a row. Yeah. I, I think that's still a record. I'm not sure. but uh, and, and, and down the stretch, you, you swept the SEC tournament in New Orleans, as you'd said earlier. Uh, you beat IUPUI in Utah. You beat a good Wisconsin team. And as you'd said earlier, uh, everything was there except, I guess it was against Wisconsin that Keith sprained his ankle. Right, right. And then Dwayne Wade they were a good just team took too. over. Yeah, I mean, everyone gives Dwayne Wade. I mean, I think he had a triple-double. But, I mean, their whole team was, was firing on cylinders. Their big had like 24 and 12. I think Diener hit three, four, five threes. I mean, it was just everything was in sync. And I do recall practice like the day before because we would we would have our hour, hour and a half of practice, and these were closed at this time. And then we came in as Marquette was ending, so you could hear how hyped they were. But who knew? I mean, did we get a bad draw as the number one overall seed to go up to Minneapolis and play Wisconsin and Marquette? Uh, maybe, but you got to win the games. Um, that was it was pretty heartbreaking to to get to the elite eight, have that kind of a season, and not at least get get a banner for a final four uh, and to be able to compete on for a championship. The next year, oh three oh four, you got off to a great start. You ended up finishing twenty seven and four before you lost your final game in a tournament, but. Uh, through all of November, December, and up until January 17th, your only loss was a 65-56 to 56, uh, game to Louisville. There's uh, Rick's second in row, and this was at Rupp Arena. Man, I don't remember that. I think I deleted that one. But uh, <laughs> that year, I mean, we had some good senior leadership. I think we had Cliff Hawkins, Eric Daniels, Antoine Barber, um, Gerald Fitch, did I say him? Uh, Matt Heisenbuttle. We had five seniors that year. Um, good crew of guys. Um, we won the SEC tournament again um, that season. So I think out of my five seasons, we did win three tournament titles, um, which, uh, I mean, that's a feat. I mean, I don't think that's a big focus now um, in, in today's um there's not a lot of credit given to that title, uh, the tournament title, but it's a it's a hard title to win. I mean, you were one you were one seed in the uh, St. Louis Regional. You lost the second round to Alabama Birmingham, and it seems to me like that right there was where I think that was the game uh, where Tubby later said later in the spring that. Kentucky needed to get back to getting the Final Fours. Agree. Um, anytime you go in as a one seed and you lose in the second round, uh, obviously that's um, 
disheartening and and just makes your whole season. I mean, we're 27 and four at that point, and to go 27 and five and and not make it to the second week of the tournament, I mean, just it puts the whole season as a as a bust. Even though you you win an SEC title and and you and you finish as the first seed uh, in in the East of the SEC and, and, and a number one seed. Um, but I think we had a, a shot to win that game. It just wasn't one of those games. I mean, UAB uh, running that press style like Arkansas and just got up into us and probably overlooked them. Um, trap game, one versus a nine. Your last year as a manager, 2004, 2005, have a, have a, a really great year. You end up as a number two seed in the Austin Regional. You're 28 and five going in the tournament. You finish seventh in the nation AP poll, fifth in the coaches poll, and and there, there's some pretty exciting uh, uh, situations in there. Uh, we come to uh, late uh, mid December, and you play Louisville and Louisville, and I think Kentucky has like 15 or 16 points, and I have perhaps the worst half I've ever seen in the Tubby era, and somehow you wiggle around the end of the game and. Uh, the official swallows his whistle on a walk, but you get three free throws from Patrick Sparks. And I think everybody in Freedom Hall knew when he walked to the line, there was no question <laughs> all three were going to go in. I remember that. Um, I was sitting on the shoe bag right in the corner um, before the Yum Center. So, um, But, yeah, we're down to looks like a broken play. Pat grabs it in the uh, – I think Kalina may have passed to him or Chuck. I can't remember. Gets open. I couldn't see his feet, so yeah, I didn't see a walk. I don't know what you're talking about. But <laughs> gets fouled. Uh, pressure situation. I don't know how Kentucky boy. I mean, that's what you dream of as a Kentucky boy, going up to the line, down two with three shots at Louisville. What are you talking about? Couldn't be any better situation. Comes in, nets all three. There's still a second and there are two left, and I think – Garcia or, or or maybe the other Kentucky boy. Garcia might have been gone by then, but another Kentucky boy from midcourt missed a heave at the buzzer, and somehow we steal a game and and don't lose three in a row to Rick. And that wasn't the last of Patrick Sparks' heroics. Yeah. Uh, your final game of the season, you're in Austin, playing Michigan State, and you're down three, and you come back late, and it was just sort of given. And I think the most thing I'll read, Remember about that game is after he let the shot go, and after it, before the officials ever determined that it beat the clock, he ran over to Billy Packer. And I don't remember what he said, but he pointed and and gave the signal like that's good. And um, but they did miss a call on that play because they didn't call a foul. I agree. They just called it good. Yeah, I mean, and if I, they call a foul, game may be over. Yeah, the other way, and and we go to the final four, go dancing. Um, no, I mean that game was that was a heartbreak. That was my last game. Um, so Michigan State uh, definitely uh, high on the list of unlikable teams for me. Um, but they had beaten Duke, I think, the game before. Uh, at, they were the one seed. Duke was the one. So we were li- really looking for a Duke Kentucky match to go to the final four. Things were lining up um, and uh, lost in double overtime. So it was 
heartbreaking. But overall, five years, I think total record was 133 and 35, about 80% winning percentage there. So I never touched a ball or dribbled a ball, but sure gave out a, a lot of waters and, and towels and call me a glorified water boy. So I always ask former players when they go through that last game, when they walk into the locker room, win or lose, if you want a championship, you're a senior, it's different. But when you pull off the jersey for the last time and you know there's no more, what did it feel like to you as a manager uh, putting the equipment together for one last time? Yeah, it was a little surreal. Um, I mean, to have that opportunity to be a part of a team uh, and with Kentucky, I mean, as a child – growing up I mean that was it I mean that was your dream was to play for UK so to to know that chapter was coming to a close was was difficult I mean you see it in all the post-game interviews um I mean I mean just look back a couple years ago with De'Aaron Fox and Bam I mean those guys but 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 they don't seem to have had the time involved in it that most kids do in four years and you in almost seven years. I mean, you've lived a third of your life right, being right. with a basketball team. So, I mean, yeah, the basketball part of it was fun. Just to, to not make it to a Final Four was probably um, pretty difficult, knowing that they just won two and been to three finals, 96, 97, 98, right on that part of the undercard of the career and then, Post-career, you come in with Cal and just ringing off Final Four after Final Four. Uh, to see that part is a little frustrating, but, I mean, more importantly, it was just leaving the guys and, and not being around Mr. Kitely every day. Uh, I mean, that was that was the true joy. Um, I mean, like I said before, I mean, we were his boys. Um, I mean, like a second grandfather pretty much. you got to give me a couple of Bill Kitely stories. Uh, and they can be PG. They don't have to be totally G. <laughs> <laughs> Give me one involving the Reds. Yeah, so every year, um, fortunate Mr. Kiteley would, would put together a Reds trip. So not a lot of people probably knew. Um, We're talking about the Cincinnati Reds. Cincinnati now. Reds, of course. Um, he, obviously, his number one passion was Kentucky basketball, but 1A was the Cincinnati Reds. Um, and so... Every year we would we get the opportunity to go up uh, with uh, Adrian Smith, Odie. Uh, Who played at Kentucky in the 50s. Right. And um, he would always invite us up uh, to his suite. So Mr. Kitely would, would bring along the managers and uh, go up there and have a good time. And um, But Mr. Kitely was, was an avid Reds fan, and that's probably a, a little-known fact for a lot of basketball guys that don't. You wouldn't think that he was a Reds guy, but that I mean that was his one A love. Give me a basketball story. Uh, first of all, you you, you got to explain uh, his personal relationship with the three letters University of Louisville. I think that relationship changed a little bit, obviously once Coach P uh, took over. But I mean, he despised that was his, especially when Coach Patino was there was his just miserable day. I mean, it was a lose-lose for him. Prior to that, I mean, that was his 
I mean, hated rival. I mean, he hated that day. Um, win or lose, I mean, obviously you win, great. But just to be a, in that situation, um, it was just a tough day for him. Uh, and he hated Louisville. Almost um, a tough week. Yeah. From I mean, the minute after the previous game until that game was completed. Right. So maybe a couple of beverages to help uh, soothe the nerves there. But um, I, I really do think the challenge of that was um, once Coach P took over, I mean, it was just a dreadful day because um, his loyalty to Coach Patino, I mean, uh, was second to none. I mean, he, he loved that guy. Um, the, the truck that we drove around, the big blue uh, truck, uh, I think was a gift from Coach Patino. So uh, you have that relationship and brought Kentucky back and winning. And and um, I wasn't around with Coach Patino, but uh, fortunate enough to, to be buddies with uh, his oldest son, Mike. Uh, and he was into my wedding. And so it was, it was difficult for, for me too, um, just being a part of Louisville and knowing everybody's hatred towards Louisville, but we still have connections to Louisville. Um, and a couple of years ago, I'm, I could get into Louisville's locker room as easy as I could get into to Kentucky's. Two years later, the day that nobody expected to happen, where were you and what did you think when the announcement came that Tubby Smith was leaving for Minnesota? Came as a shock. Uh, obviously, the the, uh, the two seasons after I left, um, I think we were eight seeds and just kind of on the downfall. I was at work, um, saw a message come through, pop through, uh, Coach Smith to Minnesota. I'm like, great. He's going to the Timberwolves. So I thought he had taken the, uh, the pro job. And they're like, no, Minnesota Gophers and – Caught me a little off guard, um, but I think it was time. I mean, he he made the decision, he made the move, and did you sense that moving in that direction two years earlier when you were here the last year or not? No, not at all. I mean, just came off an elite eight uh, appearance. Um, we had four really good freshmen. You had. Rajon Rondo, Randolph Morris, Ramel Bradley, Joe Crawford. He had a good nucleus of a team. Um, Rondo was coming back. Randolph made it back. Um, I wasn't around for the uh, uh, the infamous facts or anything, but uh, Randolph made it back, and you had a good squad. So I, I didn't really see um, Tubby's demise coming that soon, no. Our thanks to you for listening to episode 76 of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs. Oscar will have more with DJ in episode 77, but DJ is not the only manager Oscar's chatted with. Check out episode one with the manager of the Fabulous Five, Humsey Yesen. That episode can be found at oscarcombs.com in addition to many other episodes. All episodes of Conversations can be downloaded to your mobile device through iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Search for at Wildcat News, subscribe, and download for free. The Big O Online, follow him on Twitter at Wildcat News. 
I'm Bo Robinson, and we thank you again for listening to this episode of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs. And as always, go Big Blue.